This portion of TV Confidential is sponsored by Uber. Enter the promo code TV Confidential, all one word, when you download the app at get.uber.com slash go slash TV Confidential, and you'll receive a free first ride up to $20. Hi, this is Daphne Maxwell-Reed, and you are listening to TV Confidential. And Robert's with a reminder that Kat Kramer will join us at the top of the hour. We hope you'll stay tuned for that. In the meantime, Tony Figueroa and Donna Allen are with us for this week in TV history. Tony's segment, as always, brought to us by our friends at Story Salon, Southern California's longest-running, regularly-performing live storytelling ensemble in this time of sheltering in place. The Story Salon storytellers have been posting three-minute stories every week at facebook.com forward slash story salon. Plus, they've recently started a long-form Zoom version of Story Salon that you can enjoy every week at youtube.com forward slash Story Salon. Quick program note, this segment with Tony and Donna originally aired in January 2011. January 12th, 1981. That was the premiere of Dynasty. Oh. Did you see um, uh, Richard and Esther Shapira are going to, uh, they're, they're going to make a, a, a big screen version of Dynasty. That just came out. I just saw that last week on the, uh, on the, now, on the AP. Now I know they were planning to do the same thing with Dallas. Mm-hmm. Because I think, you know, the story, the tycoons and all, I think it, the stories can be told again with a modern backdrop. I think so. And I would say the same thing for Dallas. Uh, you know, just, uh, I think the dynamics are there. I think, you know, you could easily have the backdrop uh, be what's going on uh, with energy and oil and, and just the world at large. And I think they could even... I think there's even more potential to mine now than there was back I, I, then. I would agree, because uh, even though, look, you know, I, I'm i a card-carrying da- Dallas fan. Yes. Big, big Hagman fan. Um, and I was never into Dynasty as much as I was Dallas, but I think because... Uh, because they were different shows, and because you know Hagman was H- Hagman, Jr. was you know was such a larger than life character, character yeah. more so than Blake. Oh, definitely. Carrington. I I think a dynasty has a better shot at translating to a 2011 audience than Dallas would. I think so too. I, agree. I think, and you know, I I want to say this with all respect, but kind of echoing what you're saying, uh, Larry Hagman was so iconic, and he is so. I think that whoever would play Blake would not suffer the same than who would ever play J.R. Yeah. Because I think J.R. would always, you know, the comparison would be always there. I think whatever actor would be cast as Blake would have a much more fair opportunity to create their interpretation of the role. Especially if plays J.R. Especially if someone like George Clooney did it. Well, yeah. Oh, and then, then they'll I go. I can see that. I can see George Clooney, yeah. Then what, what was his name? John Forsquare? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That would that would be a little different. But then you don't need anything else. He yes. could just stand there and look pretty, uh, which he's been doing which very well, which he's very, well for very, very good at doing. Yes, yes, yes. yes. But I think I think the the backdrop would still be more applicable. Yeah. And and I think that uh, I think like I said, what's going on in the world would probably be more featured and more focused on than shoulder pads. Mm-hmm. Yes. So. No, but Dallas. Wonderful show. I could always look forward to laughing. Yeah. What I liked about Dynasty was the fantasy. Everyone was rich and beautiful and perfect. And the show took itself more seriously than Dallas ever did, I believe. And I, I think were, Dynasty but, had better cat fights. Yes. Oh, well, 
Yeah. Oh, I remember that first Joan Collins, Linda Evans, that first, my mouth dropped open. I didn't believe they were doing I'd never seen anything like that on television. And I came to look forward to it. As did as as did so many of us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so w- let's let's move on. But before we move on, a program note: since this segment originally aired in January 2011, Dallas was updated and reimagined for TNT, while Dynasty was updated and reimagined for the CW. January 15th, 1981. Hill Street Blues premiered on TV. Let's be careful out Let's there. Let's be careful out there. One of the great lines in television history. Definitely, I think, one of the best lines in the 1980s. Yeah, and you know, and, and, and certainly um, uh, Hill Street with Bochco along with uh, Steve Cannell a few years later, uh, I mean, they, they took, speaking of soap operas, they took elements, they, 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 they took the basic element of soap opera, which, was, which is the extended storyline, storylines that play at over two, three, four, five weeks, and and really brought that to to uh, to, uh, to prime time and and in so doing changed um, not only changed dramatic television as we know it but basically paved the way for dramatic television as we know it the last twenty five years. I think it also proved that the American television viewer is somewhat fickle because prior to Hill Street Blues, especially I think the parents who were of a generation who did not have TV and then TV was something added to their lives raising kids like us mm-hmm. that tv was a constant through the show uh through through our lives it was always there uh parents always had this misguided perception that our generation thought that problems could be resolved in a half hour time because we were exposed to that on television which i never believed uh, you know, I think uh, instant popcorn and TV dinners probably made us less patient mm-hmm. uh, than than a story arc, you know, covering an hour or a half hour. And then Hill Street was the first show that really the problems didn't get resolved in an hour. And they didn't necessarily ever get resolved. They just ended. And sometimes the bad guys won. That's and right. and mm-hmm. the good guys got shot and killed. And, and, and you had that. And then... The TV viewer was complaining, well, I'm co- I don't want to be committed, you know, to come back next week and then next week and then next week. I want to see some resolution. You know, so they had to eventually create episodes where there would be a storyline that would be resolved by the end of the episode. And you could have other storylines that could carry on even throughout the whole season. Yeah. And it, it, look, when you try something new um, that that changes the formula that people are. I mean, look, you, television is based on habit. And and you know, we all have our habits, and we, we it sometimes it takes a while to accept changes to our routine. And so, um, in order for something to work, the best way to do it is to kind of gradually get the audience accustomed to the idea that you know this is going to that this particular storyline is going to you know, take a few weeks to play out. But as long as you have some sort of resolution at the end of each show, then you're not totally screwing up their expectations. Yeah. You, you, I, I could totally understand that, but it also is um, a matter of if you do good work, you know, people are going to find you. People are going to, in, exactly. in theory. And and if you listen too much to focus groups or just, you know, if you if you start doing, if you're starting to create something, a creative, you know, art product, whatever you want to call it, based on committee, it's it's not going to work as well. Yeah. So just do the best stuff you can. Go with it people like it they'll watch it if they don't like it they won't watch it and move on but if you start you know saying oh well people want this 
you know, then what? You're going to have a smart aleck teenager and a talking car added to your show. It's not going to work. I think Stephen Bochco eventually created a very solid product, and people saw it, and they watched it again in reruns, and it had, it had a wonderful run, and it set a standard for, I think, L.A. Law, NYPD Blue, and, you know, basically took, you know, the, the cop show to a different direction mm-hmm. and, and added new layers. Yeah, I remember what caught people's attention also, just the look of it. Here was another stylized show yeah. with a grittiness that I don't think we'd seen on television before. Yeah, I mean, cer- certainly, I mean, certainly a good example of, of, a cul- of, a, of an episode of a show filmed in color that has elements of film noir, which mm-hmm. to me... Um, is, is is something that is always best done in black and white because black and white just set mood. But uh, certainly, there's a lot of um, there's a very stylized and you know darkness in terms of some of the storylines that were portrayed in the big city on, on Hill Street Blues. It, you had also such likable characters, yeah. especially Belker. I, yes, I think it was <laughs> Belker and Rinko were were really breakout characters on these shows. Yeah, Charles Hayde and Bruce um, White. Bruce Bruce White. That's right. Especially because I don't think we ever saw a cop like him before. Yeah, not on a weekly show. Not on a weekly show. And and the and these cops were flawed. Some of them were not good guys. Yeah. And you may have had a, a one shot deal with a bad cop. He would he you know he would have been busted and gone to jail before yeah. the credits rolled. And, and that would be the end of it. But th- this would be a character that not only you would see over and over again that people would tune in and actually yeah. root for. Yeah. Before we move on, uh, the other, the, I mean, there, there are two things. When you say Hill Street Blues, I think of two things. I think of let's be careful out there yeah. and also the way Phil Esterhaus died. Yeah. I, I think that was a great way to, to kill off a character. Died in the sack. Died in the sack. <laughs> His heart exploded. There are worse ways to go. <laughs> yeah. They, they, you know, they, they handled it so well because yeah. Michael Conrad died. Yeah. And and they needed to resolve a couple of story arcs, so they just had him away, and they had Joe Spano do the roll call a mm-hmm. couple of times. You know, the, the home audience knew, and then they did a, a really thoughtful way to to kill off the character. And and uh, but I think also it had a great deal of heart when you had Daniel, Daniel J. Trevanti as uh, Captain Ferrillo coming out, interrupting the roll call, and explaining. And then the next episode. Uh, he read a codicil of the sergeant's will, mm-hmm. which was basically a final roll call. Yeah, you know, and, and, and then uh, the, when we the last time that they cover that uh, is when they scatter his ashes, and he wanted to be like any good cop. He wanted his ashes scattered on the street. Yeah, and when they all walk off the scene, the street cleaner comes, which was you know, poetic. Mm-hmm. But it, yeah, he w- he was such a wonderful character, so beloved, and uh, you know, sometimes they don't treat the loss of the actor. In the best, I think they handled it as best as they could under the circumstances. It was a tribute to both the actor who played the character and the character. And the character, mm-hmm. yeah. You know, and, and you know, we grew up. You know, in early days, somebody died. It, they just got on a bus and went on a trip, mm-hmm. or they went to Europe and they were never spoken again. Yeah. You know, if you kill off the character, they have a high-end funeral which nobody in their economic bracket could afford, and they're never spoken again. What happened to the grandpa and my three sons? <laughs> he went to Ireland and was never heard from again. What happened to Chuck on Happy Days? Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah. He didn't die. He was just eliminated. Yes. The last thing here, but not least, Donnie and Marie premiered January 16th, 1976. Little bit country, little bit, bit rock, rock and, and roll. roll. And a Friday night staple for just a few years. What, what was it? Three about, or four? about three or four years. Yeah. yeah. 
it, well, that's it's, a good run television. But you know, Donnie and Marie, you know, they had a talk show much much later, and they still work together. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, you have a, this family dynasty that is uh, you know, comparable to the Jackson family. Yeah, what, one yeah. of the one of the few um, successful ventures into primetime television by Sid and Marty Croft. Yes, it was their production that did that, and they used a lot of their their classic characters involved. Uh, you had everybody who was anybody appearing on that show, mm-hmm. plugging their movies, plugging their TV shows. You had the greats like the Bob Hopes, the Lucille Balls, the Milton Burles, the George Goebbels, to whoever was the new sensation. And it's hard to believe it was actually cool at the time to appear yeah, on Donnie Marie. But it was Marie. a show that the whole family could sit down and watch together. Exactly. And they, they had the ice skaters. And, and mm-hmm. uh, I think they took a lot from the Carol Burnett book. And to some extent, Sonny and Cher. And the, Sonny and Cher, definitely. Yeah. But, you know, there was enough satire, there was enough humor, and it was a wonderful vehicle for the entire Osmond family to right. show their musical talents. Not to mention Paul Lind, who became sort of their regular uh, yeah, semi was yeah, on that and, show. Yeah, he did, a, he did a wonderful job. He was a great foil for those characters. Childoftelevision.blogspot.com, Childoftelevision.blogspot.com, also Storysalon.com. Donna's four-part novel series is now complete. Yes, it is. The last book, Fall Again Reunion, was published a few months ago. You'll see where the story finally ends. And to find out how the story begins and end, go to fallagainseries.com. Tony and Donna, we'll see you both next time. Next, next time. time. Kat Kramer will join us when we come back for hour number two of TV Confidential. Stay with us. If you haven't been listening to TV Confidential, this is who you're missing. Linda Day George. Diane Cannon. Donna Mills. Richard Benjamin. Michael Bell. Joan Van Ark. Thank you so much, Joan. I, I really appreciate this. I hope we'll have a chance to chat again. Well, I hope so, too. And let me tell you. Bravo to you. Kudos for doing your homework. That's all I got to say. Thank you, Hugs. That's TV Confidential, every week on this station and every day online at televisionconfidential.com. You can listen to this show all over again as a podcast on iTunes, Spreaker, TuneIn, Apple Podcast, and wherever podcasts are found. Best of all, it's free. To subscribe to the TV Confidential podcast, go to the homepage at televisionconfidential.com and click subscribe now. Become a TV Confidential confidant and receive unlimited access to the last five years of TV Confidential, plus other members-only content. To find out more, go to televisionconfidential.com and click become a confidant. Enter the coupon code confidential when you sign up and you'll receive $5 off your first month's membership. For more information, go to televisionconfidential.com and click Become a Confidant. Be part of our conversation. If you like what you hear, have thoughts on this week's program, or have an idea for a future edition of TV Confidential, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at talk at tvconfidential.net, talk at tvconfidential.net. You can also message us at facebook.com forward slash tvconfidential, x.com forward slash TV Confidential or at TV Confidential on Instagram. And if you're listening to us on the TV Confidential podcast, please be sure to hit the subscribe button. This portion of TV Confidential is brought to us by our friends at Front Porch Realty, the community of realtors in the Northern Bay Area of California that is committed to finding the solution that is best for their clients. Whether you're a first time home buyer or looking to sell or lease your property in Northern California, call Karen Strain at 415 415- 886-7411 or visit frontporchrealtygroup.com for more information on how they can help you.